Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. Oh, wow. My guest today is none other than Tia Carrere, someone who's really tough to define because she's done it all. Singer, action movie star, comedic actor, model, and something I just learned, a Grammy Award winner. Yeah, there's two of them. Look, right there. True. There they are. Two. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much, Melissa Rivers. So nice to see you. Nice to see you. You were on E Daily Pop when I was on there co-hosting, but they kept us apart. They, they did. They couldn't, and- they couldn't handle so much fabulousness on so one much, set. So much goss. We'll exactly. Like talking exactly. and talking and talking. So I did not know this. You were discovered in a grocery store in Waikiki. Yep. It's yeah. It sounds like a made up PR, you know, Lana Turner story, but I was modeling. So it was like, I was walking around the grocery store with full pancake makeup, uh, a garland of flowers around my head, which is called a Haku headband and a bikini. So it's not like I blended, you know, no. <laughs> please tell me you weren't in heels. No, I wasn't in heels. No, 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 no. No, I was, uh, I had just come from this like crazy shirt photo shoot, um, you know, the company in Hawaii, crazy shirt. And um, this producer's mother and father approached me and said, darling, you're gorgeous. You should be in my son's movie. He's looking for the female lead. I'm like, me? And um, I said, I, I have never acted before. And they said, well, here's a casting director, Carol Jones, who did um, Karate Kid. So it was on the up and up, you know, I knew the name because I saw the movie and um Next thing you know, I'm in there making pretend I'm a shy local Hawaiian girl that falls in love with a Caucasian Casanova, and I'm the female leading this movie called Aloha Summer. And I got my SAG card and moved to Hollywood with that credit. You know, nowadays people approach like that would have been very close to like a Me Too moment. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the mother and father. You know, they were like, they just got off the plane. They're like dressed all Beverly Hills with the, you know, I don't know, the fur collar on the dress. Like, I don't know. Them just, you know, you follow your gut. And I felt these people on the up and up. I mean, I don't know why they're, you know, think I can actually act because I've never done it before, but. And why were they in the grocery store? Picking up provisions because I just got off the plane. (laughs) (laughs) But I was thinking like, what if I had zigged instead of zag? You know, what if I'd gone on the different aisle and not run into them? I wouldn't be sitting with you here today. I just love those serendipitous occurrences that, you know, just life takes you on a journey sometimes. It's a trip. Well, with your level of talent, something would have happened. Um, what was it like growing up in Hawaii? Because people always think of growing up in Hawaii as this mythical journey. Yeah. And I don't think people realize you're still going to school. You're still in high school. For a lot of people, high school sucked, starting with <laughs> me. Yeah, I was I was sad and lonely for most of my schooling. Um, the funny thing is people go, oh, is it like the descendants, you know, which is like Kahala and beautiful and gorgeous i'm like no i come from the opposite of the descendants like the area i came from is uh you know mostly known for their incarceration rates public housing and where dog the bounty hunter did his best work so um you know it took me an hour on two buses to get to school you know i went to the all girls catholic school in a quite a different area but you know it was that scrappiness and determination that made me tough to to you know deal with hollywood i guess you know so you've won two grammys Yet, which I love, you appeared on Star Search. Yeah, but not as a singer. 
Not as a singer. Were you a, were you a spokesmodel? No, they were all full up for that too. So random, they had like this really whacked category, acting category. Now, how do you choose best actor? You know, who's better? Uh, you know, uh, De Niro or Pacino? Oh, I'll give him a 1.75. I'll give him a 2.0. It's like, it's unquantifiable. So it was, it's kind of a harebrained scheme, but I did, you know, it was on for the first couple seasons and I did a skit with a guy and um, yeah, so I didn't win, but that's okay. It turned out okay in the end. Who encouraged you? I mean, what made you want to compete? Cause you were young. I wanted to do the spokesperson thing. That's the part that I wanted to do. Cause I was modeling. Right. I came here to make a living. I was modeling with Nina Blanchard. Um, oh, Nina was a friend of my parents. Oh, really? She yes. was really kind because when the boyfriend that I moved here with stole all my money and left me homeless, she let me live in the hallway of her house because her mo- she would let models stay in the bedrooms in her house, but there was nothing available and I had no place to live. So she said, there's a single bed. You could like sleep in the hallway between two of the bedrooms. And I was there for like, I don't know, six months till I earned enough money again to get first, last and deposit on, a, on an apartment. So who was the scumbag boyfriend? Ugh, he who shall remain nameless. Um, you know, the kind of person that probably sue me if I said his name out loud, but yeah, the people that know, if you know, you know, but, uh, you know, didn't, didn't destroy me. I didn't have a plan B. So I just kept moving forward. So when was, cause you are a singer. When was the first time you sang in public? I was Um, just talking to someone and talked about the first, a singer and the very first time they sang in public, they were five years old. No, I was 11 when my grandma took me to my first singing lesson and he was like, wow, she's got a real gift and blah, 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 and this and that. But I'm trying to think if it was, I entered the talent contest and that's actually how I met Daniel Ho, who I won the Grammys with. He and I performed at the Waikiki Shell when we were like 14 in front of 5,000 people. It was a, a talent contest of all the schools for the radio station KIKI. And it was called Brown Bags to Stardom. And that was my first big singing thing. But I sang at shopping malls. I sang at hotel bars that my family happened to be going to in Hawaii or Samoa. Um, so I was always getting up and singing. What, what song did you sing in the competition? Do you remember? It was, well, once was um, uh, uh, the air supply song, uh, The One That You Love. Now the night has gone. Now the night has gone away. <laughs> and then the next time was a New York, New York medley. I know random from a girl from Hawaii. Yeah. But I wanted to sing New York, New York. So start spreading the news. Exactly. And I was wearing like this whole showgirl costume with the with the top, top hat. hat. My legs up with fishnet stockings. I don't know who the hell I thought I was. But I got in trouble with Mother Superior because she said that some of the alumni were very disappointed how I was representing their school and that the costumes were uh, indecent in some way. I'm like, I see worse on the beach in public. I was like, what's so indecent about like, you know, it wasn't like the high cut ones either. It was like the low cut ones that make you like hippie and cut your legs off, you know, Uh cut so low. It was one of those. I don't understand. Um, right after Star Search, you went on to General Hospital and a million other TV shows. And when I was looking at this, the A-Team. Yeah, yeah. They wanted with, me to be a regular on there, too. Well, and, and then Married with Children. Looking at your Quantum resume. Leap. Quant- it makes me feel like you're kind of a girl that can't say no. 
Like you were just taking jobs. Oh yeah. When you're building your, when you're building your career and especially think back, there was nobody on TV that looked like me. So if they were, you know, willing to put me on the show, I'm like, the answer is yes, because it was, it was hard. It was a hard slog out there. Most of the time it was, uh, we weren't thinking of going ethnic with that role. Uh, we weren't thinking of going exotic with that role, which means you have to be all American, blonde hair, blue eyed, or the girl next door brunette, you know? So yeah, damn straight. If there was a job that I, that would have me, I'd go and take it. And especially at that time. And it, it just, mm-hmm. it, it speaks to how not just talented, but multi-talented you are. You were stubborn, stubborn. stubborn, I got stubborn too. Um, But to overcome what was typically cast. Yeah, uh, it was disappointing, especially when I heard from the casting director, like, you did a great reading. Oh, I love that. And then, okay, so then you're waiting, waiting, waiting for the call. And then the agent says, well, I I was like, what? What? Tell me. Tell me straight. Like, well, they don't want to go ethnic with the role. I'm like, what does that mean? (laughs) I mean, of course, I know what it meant. And I saw the shows on TV, on network TV. It was very homogenous, very all American. It's very homogenous. Homogenous. Like milk. Kind of. Uh, So your breakout role, which we all know, is Cassandra in Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. Were you... I, I know the answer to this is going to be yes. So I don't even know why I'm asking it because you're so aware of everything. Did you know the characters before the audition? I did not. Really? I did not, I did not watch SNL because it was on too late. I go to sleep early. <laughs> <laughs> I still do. Like I'll start closing my eyes like 10 o'clock, 1030. So to stay up for SNL, I, now, at least, I mean, we have TiVo, you know, we had TiVo, so I could start um, recording it. But back then, no, I didn't see it. So only one of my friends, who strangely enough was from Mexico, would stay up late and watch SNL and said, this movie is going to be huge. And the, the only reason why I really wanted it is I read the role and I thought 17 to 23 um, sings uh, like, you know, rocks like Pat Benatar, no accent, but with her, she has a heavy Cantonese accent. Like I've seen in the Philippines or in Asia, you know, these cover bands where they basically can, you know, sound flawless. Like Arnel Pineda, who was discovered for a journey. He has a Filipino accent, but on stage he sings just like, you know, um, uh, Steve Perry, uh, flawless. So it's, it's a very interesting sort of dichotomy. And then doing the martial arts, being funny and looking a certain way. I was like, this will be mine. Oh yes, <laughs> it will be mine. And I just held on to that truth because I wanted that job. How did you get the role? How did it all come about? Just a regular way where, you know, there's this thing called breakdown services and it's like a sheath of paper that you used to get. Now it's all digital, right. I guess, but it would say, this is the show. These are the producers. This is a casting director. This, these are all the roles they're searching for. So it was the top. Cassandra Wong, 17 to 23, yakety, blah, 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 uh, submit. And so they submitted me and I went and I read for it and I read for it and I read for it. And meanwhile, Baywatch wanted me for a role. And I'm like, no, put that off, put that off because this is the one I'm going to get. Um, and thank God I didn't lose both because I could have. It was a it was a real, you know, gamble. But um I remember the last time I went in for Wayne's World at Paramount, it was like Hawk Koch, the producer, and um, uh, John Goldwyn, the head of the studio, and um, uh, Mike Myers came out, and he said, can I speak to you? And I said, you're my choice. 
you're really great. Just keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, oh, I just like, I went in, I was like all puffed up. I'm like, yes, I'm doing the right thing. Pen- Penelope Spheris was in there and she's like a tough rocker chick. So I was like intimidated. I'm like, I'm only approximating a rocker chick. I hope they don't see through me. But um, just him saying that nice thing really put wind in my sails and made me more, you know, sure of myself when I walked in. And just, did he read with you? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you realize how unusual that is now? Oh, for people to read with you? Well, I mean, I'm doing, I've done so many Zoom, uh, not Zoom, even self tapes where you're taping yourself in your living room and there's nobody reading with you. You're like, okay. Got it. This is, this is, this is weird. Yeah, um, different time. But what a fun legacy. I mean, I, I can't believe the the depth and breadth of my career um, since 1984 coming here. And then now it, it, all these huge movies and then this time of like, OK, I'm going to stay at home mostly and take care of my daughter and be Girl Scout troop leader and chaperone for all the sleepovers and do that whole thing. And now to have another huge movie coming out in over 3000 uh, screens, I'm so grateful that I just stayed the course did the right thing for me. You know, I didn't miss out on having a child and being that, you know, a mom. And it's a hard thing for women because we really do have to choose that this is going to be my priority for this period of time. And it's such a finite time. And now there's more work on the other side of it. So thank God, you know, the gamble paid off again. Uh, You went, (laughs) this killed me, from basically Wayne's World to true lies true lies mm-hmm. very different mm-hmm. and one's a fun laughy set and one's a we're gonna rig you to this helicopter and you're gonna, <laughs> you know I, I, like that's a big two very different experiences there was a scene a torture scene oh my gosh but they cut out this one line that was so gangster i look at jamie lee I put a grenade between her legs. I pulled the pin and I say, now you just keep your legs together and you'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Keep your knees together and you'll be just fine. And she's got this grenade between her legs, but I guess it was a whole nother action sequence to get rid of that. So they decided to take that part out. But um, yeah, it was quite something action, like this really nasty piece of work that works with terrorists. Um, it was such a great departure to show, you know, the range, which is what you want as an actor, you know. But James Cameron, very intense to work with. He was amazing. But intense. He's hard. He's no, but he's hard on his crew and his lighting guys and his his effects guys. But his actors, he was the most generous and an amazing and kind and inviting person. Okay. I'm fifth guy on the totem pole. Like I'm sixth spear carrier from the left in the hierarchy of things. There's Arnold Schwarzenegger. There's Tom Arnold and, you know, Bill Paxton, all these people, amazing actors, big names. And he comes over to me after one of my scenes and he goes, Hey Tia, is there anything you want to do different here? Come take a look. And he shows me everybody standing around hundreds of people, right? Shows me the scene on the monitor. Nobody takes the time to show you no. the scene on the monitor. And certainly not anymore, because time is money. Um, but I guess that's why the movie took a year to shoot. But then he shows it to me, and I'm like, well, you know, I didn't realize I'm slouching in that. And I feel like if I had my shoulders back and my head held high, that maybe I would command the space and like hold my head differently. Because 
and maybe pitch my voice down a little bit so that I sound more, uh, you know, uh, commanding. And he's like, yeah, let's try that. Okay, great. That a director of that caliber with other people, unheard of. That's what I'm saying. That's why he gets the performances that he does. Um, There are things that, you know, he has to rush. It's like, let's set this, you know, stunt up or, you know, not the stunts, because that's also dangerous, but um, setting up the lighting and the whatever the effects. And I'm sure he's very uh, demanding on them and their time because he's on the set also. He and Arnold were on the set, you know, 18 hours. They barely went, you know, went to the bathroom and they would come back and they'd be on the set the whole time. So they demand a lot of themselves. And so they demand a lot of their crew. But with the act in my acting realm and seeing how he treated other actors, uh, unbelievable. So gentle and and it makes you feel more confident to bring your A game, you know, because you get, you know, intimidated, you close down and you don't, you know, you don't come out there with with all of you because you're kind of scared and whatever. And so he makes you feel so comfortable as a performer. I was so grateful. You brought up something interesting about I could have stood up. I could have commanded this. Did you ever take classes? Did you who did you train with as an actor? Okay, so I never did any training till I came here to Los Angeles. And um, because of, it was the actor that I acted opposite on um, uh, Star Search, thought I was gonna make him look bad because I'd never done any acting before except for this one fluke job, Aloha Summer, my first movie where I was discovered in the grocery store. So he put me with his acting coach so I would be better opposite him. and where is he now? I don't know. Uh-huh. But it turned out okay in the end for me. Um, but so I thankfully met Mark Spiegel, who was my longtime acting coach. He was at this Vincent Chase mm-hmm. studio, uh, which is funny. That's the name of uh, the lead character in Entourage. I'm just wondering if one of the writers there took classes from Vincent Chase because he named uh, the lead character Vincent Chase. Could but be. Mark, Mark Spiegel um, taught me like 10 to 12, 1 to 4, and 7 to 10 every day for a couple years, I was in these group classes. And, you know, between that and just working on everything I could, got better and better and, you know, got to play pretend to the best of my abilities. People don't realize how much even the top working actors still work with a coach. Yeah, I've been I've been needing to, to, to train with a coach. I've just been missing that um, because he passed away now. I mean, after that, I, I said he at... Uh, uh, Herbert Bergdorf uh, uh, in Uta Hagen's, uh, you know, studio in New York. And then another guy here, Eric Morris. And, you know, sort of been bouncing around, but um, I'd like to go back to Risa Brayman. I took some of her classes, but it's far. Westlake Village to Burbank, it's super far. So um, I don't but know. But it's a muscle. You've got to keep yeah. working out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've gotten to work with all these amazing people and you are such the only word that comes to mind is deft comedian and (laughs) and this i love you appeared as richard lewis's girlfriend on season six of curb your enthusiasm but this is what kills me you played his daughter in anything but love back in the 90s okay kind of weird kind of weird yep that's Kinda what weird. I use that as an example. This is what it's like being a woman in this business. It's a brutality. It's an absolute brutality from being like the young daughter that he paid, you know, you give money to like save the children or something. So I'm from Thailand. I come to his place on anything but love. And 
He gives me like a, a Chicago Bears jersey and I wear it like a dress. And he's like, oh my God, I'm having all these unclean thoughts about my daughter. So it was like this whole, you know, Lolita thing going on to not that many years later playing his girlfriend on the show. And I made the joke. I'm like, next year I'll be playing your mother because that's what it's like being a woman in this business. But because, yeah, and he's hilarious. Richard. <laughs> he is hilarious. I, I, yeah. And, and I worked with Jamie Lee on that before True Lies. So, I mean, that was so crazy working with her on the sitcom and then working with her on True Lies. You're kind of part of a, an ad hoc troupe. Oh, goodness. We're just like the team of survivors that just, you knock us down, we keep getting back up again. I think resilience is everything. You got to be resilient. Don't take anything personally. No. Let's talk about Easter Sunday in theaters now. Looks hilarious. Ah. Uh. Everybody in that movie is hilarious. I mean, there's so many ad libs that aren't in it. I was like, if they put it all in, it probably would have been three hours long, but it was a blast. And it's about, obviously, a family celebrating Easter. And you are, now let me see if I've got this right. The movie's about a Filipino family with a lot of big personalities. Mm -hmm. You're Spanish, Filipino, and Chinese. Mm -hmm. What is the dynamic at your family gatherings? Because again, a lot of big personalities. Mm -hmm. Well, this is very, uh, my, this is a departure from, from my family. Well, actually, no, I am in that. My immediate family, very reserved, kind of quiet. My grandmother was very, you know, churchy, very demure and didn't say much. But the extended family, when we get together with a big, she had like 11 brothers and sisters. So we had a lot of cousins, a lot of food on the table, like you see in the movie. Um, and her aunt, my auntie Dolly, she was a big personality and just like body and been married five times and just hilarious, just owns, just owns the room. Um, so I cherry picked different people in the neighborhood that I grew up in, which was primarily Filipino, uh, family members, you know, just selectively emphasize some of that and just had fun with it. And, uh, embraced, uh, the accent and the, the personalities and the, everything about it, really celebrating our culture. What in your family, what, or even now, especially because it's always such a hot topic in family gatherings, is the off-limit topic? Well, I think for everybody these days is politics because um, my father it, voted for Trump, very much of that mindset, which I don't understand him being a uh, brown man from another country. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see what's in it for you, dad, but okay. Maybe it's the grab the girls by the crotch thing that really lights Maybe. you up. I don't, I that don't know. Sealed the, that sealed the deal for him. Yeah, he, he aspires to being the crotch grabbing uh, supermodel marrying uh, guy. But uh, yeah, we can't talk about that. I think it's, you know, if you start going online and you're seeking your uh, certain type of news, the algorithm takes you further and further afield and we can't even understand each other's point of view anymore, which is sad. But, um, you know, we still text. So what an incredible, incredible cast. Yeah. Joe Tiffany Coy, has Joe Coy, it, Jimmy Yang. Is it, it had to be not necessarily intimidating, but it had to give you pause walking onto a set with these major not just actors, but stand-ups mm -hmm. and the brains going like yeah. this. Yeah, really fast. And with the quips and trying to figure out like 
where to throw your stuff in. Unfortunately for me, it was the storyline was pretty clear. And when I get into it with the mom, it's just she and I. But when you get into the whole group and everybody's bringing the funny, I'm just dying trying not to laugh. But I also had that experience on Curb Your Enthusiasm, being right. intimidated in a room of like, you know, Ted Danson, you know, Mary Steenburgen, Richard Lewis, Larry David, you know, Jeff Garland. I mean, are you kidding me? How do I get a word in edgewise? And they all know each other. So that was really intimidating. And you said there was a ton of improv that didn't make it. How? Yeah, yeah. Again, I, I wish we could see the, the outtakes. But again, coming from Curb, are you surprised that that vibe has kind of become your wheelhouse? Impro improvisation? But being in these sort of groups that improv with each other and, you're, yeah. and, and no one doubts that you can keep, can't keep up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, I have a little bit of imposter syndrome, but I'm glad I've, I've gotten a little more comfortable in my skin so I can speak up and throw something out there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because I was always terrified of improv. Um, uh, you're so I, naturally funny. <laughs> that's what people say. I don't understand what they mean. So I get that, guess that makes me funny because I just don't understand why, it's, yeah. why I'm funny because I'm you being are. serious. So it, it, it's got to be at this point in your life, looking back and going, wow, they've all seen something in me that I am not so self-aware of, which is what makes you even funnier. Yeah, I just, but I would like to do, I'm inspired because I really admire stand-up comics and I just did Bobby Lee's podcast. Bobby Lee, I did a movie with many years ago and he, he was on Mad TV. Yep. He said, hey T, if you ever want to get up and do like three minutes or five minutes, you have an open invitation. And I felt this like fear welling up in me. I was like, <laughs> so I thought, I wonder if there's something there. Should I try it just to see, even just to bomb, just because it's one of those bucket list things. I'm so intrigued by it. I have great respect for it. And I wonder what it feels like to be up there. Just you and the microphone in your brain. That's to me, like blows my mind. Yeah, if that's on your bucket list, you are extremely, extremely sick and you need to call your therapist <laughs> immediately. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. It's like, I, I, there's something wrong. Is it screwless? But I mean, I, that's my theory. Most people that come to Hollywood have got to have some deep foundational cracks in their psyche. Why else would you put yourself up as the product and say, okay, shoot holes in me. I'm the product. Go ahead, take me down, tear me down. Yeah, there's um, only th one, one set crazier than stand-ups and that's writers which stand-ups are intrinsically. Trust me, I grew up with one. Um, the <laughs> Easter yeah, Sundays. Well, it's incredible. That's, I mean, to me, like seeing hacks and thinking about what your mom did, it just, I mean, I wish I had those balls, you know, because it's like to get up and say, this is what's on my mind and I'm going to tell you about it. And whether you like it or not, whether you laugh or not, it's out there. Me and the mic and how you receive me. Ooh, that is gangster right there. And well, if you ever want to do it afterwards, I have a very good therapist whose children I'm pretty sure I'm putting through college. Um, I was in therapy for 30 years, so maybe that's what's kept me from actually going there. Oh, well, then good on them. So Easter Sunday is produced by Steven Spielberg. What was it like to get the call saying, Spielberg wants you in his new movie? Nobody called me saying that, first of all. I don't even know if he knows I'm alive. But um, I think he does. But, no, but Joe uh, told us he because, first of all, 
I knew about Dan Lin, who did the Lego movies, the It right. movies, amazing guy, um, hugely successful. And then they brought it over to Amblin, Steven Spielberg. It's like, boom, boom. It's like, you know, I'll see your, you know, Ryback and I'll raise you an Amblin. I said, how did we get so blessed? Uh, but, you know, it's Joe, his comedy. He saw, um, I guess Spielberg saw his, his comedy act, um, that 11 show, sold out show thing that he did in Hawaii. And yep. he saw that there's something about this multicultural sort of celebration um, of laughing with, not laughing at the differences and the, and the similarities bet between different ethnic backgrounds. And he's like, yeah, let's do a movie with him. And so it just happened really fast. I mean, you just hold on for dear life and go, okay, I'm going to bring my A game because some big eyes are watching this. You have worked with so many fascinating leading men. I mean, Schwarzenegger, Sean Connery, RuPaul. Yeah. Which, which of them made you swoon? I got to say, uh, Sean Connery was legendary. And he was, I don't know, I was playing his love interest at like 30 and he was like 70. But holy cow, he had a presence about him. He was movie star quality. Uh, when 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 we were all sitting around the round table, it's like Philip Kaufman, Oscar winning director, uh, Harvey Keitel, Steve Buscemi, um, Wesley Snipes, all these incredible people around the table. We're laughing, talking. The door opens. It's Sean Connery. And just the silence, whew, like a hush. Greatness has entered the room. He just had that kind of, you know, personality and people had respect for that and then he said something funny with his funny accents and then everybody laughed and we were back to it but that was that was something to be in that presence where if you look at all these years later you still remember that moment yeah when yeah. a movie star walked into the room yeah he was he i mean he's 007 yeah. and i remember he used to say when you walk into a room with your uh, with your head held high and your shoulders held back, you look like you belong. And that's his whole thing was about posture and carriage and holding yourself a certain way. And he did that. And like, Tia, because I, I was a sloucher. I would always slouch. And... Sit it up. So you and I have something in common, which we both survived. Celebrity Apprentice. Ah, ha, ha. We're part of the Survivors Club. And I have said it many times. I was shocked how much of a grind it was and yeah. how seriously you take it yeah. and how intense and personal and people are out for blood. People were nasty. Oh God. My sister, everyone's out for blood. What was your, what was your season? Like, what was your experience? Like, cause there are some people, if I ever see them, I would have to, and they walked in front of my car. I would have to, Run them over? Well, I would have to really make that decision whether I should accelerate or step on the brake. <laughs> I would just like some of them, I would just like to tap them. <laughs> just bump them and just give them a warning shot. But knowing the kind of person they are, knowing they'll sue you for everything that you own, would you want to give them money on top of that? No, thank you very like much. Like I said, just tap them. Just tap them. Yeah, then they fall down and say, I have blurred vision and I, I, I don't know if I can... I'm having a little, you know, stroke, whatever the hell it was. Yeah. That, what was don't, your experience? Don't do, it, don't do it, Melissa. It's not <laughs> worth it. <laughs> oh, but They're yeah, the, not worth it. The fantasy is fantastic. I know. I know. It's, what was your, what was your season like? 
I always say, you know, it's it's a show that I did for charity for after, oh, we all, after school all stars. Right. Um, we all you know, did it. We ever people don't realize it's like we've all we all did it for, for our and, charities. And a lot was, by the way, and a lot of money for our charities. Yeah. But it was the least charitable behavior I saw on the part of like the women uh, on that show, certainly. Um, but there are people that had more experience with the reality TV side and they knew how to like roll their eyes at you when your back was turned and they're looking at the camera. They go like, or like, you know, making fun, that kind of thing. And uh, no discernible talent. I mean, you know, it's like whatever, you know, so beneath my view of the world. So not even worth engaging. But um, when you're on a team together and then somebody's gunning for you, it's really hard to just, you know, uh, compose yourself. But I thought, you know, for me, it's not to win this. For me, the win is to maintain my dignity and to work hard, which is, you know, in my DNA, just hard work and perseverance will get me where I want to be. And, you know, unfortunately, that doesn't play well to reality TV cameras. So. But it. I, it, people don't understand how, what hard work that show is. Yeah. You're sleep deprived. Completely. And you're hungry. They don't bring you the food on time. Yeah. You're sleep deprived. You're hungry. And usually in heels. And extremely stressed. Stress yeah. level 10. And I yeah. always thought it was kind of unfair because the men. Could the sleep have, in. Yes. Cause we all had to be in hair and makeup. Yeah. At like five in the morning. And the men and, are still sleeping till like nine. And you sleep and you're there six days a week. Till it was nuts. It was nuts. Like I said, we're survivors. Yeah. Kind of so, wish I didn't do it though. Kind of wish I didn't do it. <laughs> well, that you one did. Could, that one could drop off my resume and I'd be fine with it. I know, but think of the club we're in together. Oh, goodness. So I've come up with a lightning round for you. Uh oh. Specifically about Easter Sunday. Okay. Okay. Quick answers. Funniest moment on set. Off screen, dancing around and singing at the top of our lungs. Loudest person on set. Joe. <laughs> Who took the longest to get ready? Me. <laughs> <laughs> love Me. That, you, that Love that you own that. Favorite moment while filming? Where Joe and Lydia have this heartfelt conversation around the table where they come back together and they're both crying. Everybody around the table was crying. Oh, who made you break character the most often? Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, he can't because I'm Tita Teresa and yeah. we seen he's like, Tita, Tia, 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 Tia. I would like, I just couldn't get it out during this one. Like, come on. And then I'm watching, waiting for it to happen. So then I start laughing. It was one of those where it just, uh, and it was the first day of shooting. Like, it's not going to take me this long in the future, I promise. Whose scenes were the most fun to watch besides your own? Oh, gosh. I loved watching um, the girl that plays my daughter, Melody Butiu, and Joey Juila, who's on, who's been on tour with um, Joe in the comedy. The two of them, as husband and wife, were hilarious. But also Rodney Toe, that plays my brother in it, with the knives and stuff. I mean, they're all so skilled with the with the comedy and they're stage actors, but they're really top-notch Im improvisers. So anything that they said, I was just like, trying to turn away so that you don't see me laughing. Every single one of them. 
Well, I cannot wait to see it. Tia, so good to see you. Nice to see you. Maybe next time I'm on E Daily Pop, we can actually be on screen together. That would be a blast. Except I think I was drinking. Oh, yeah, I did drink out of a bottle that day. Oh, did you? Well, they they're had... always giving us, they're giving us drinks in the morning. It's like nine, eight in the morning. They're giving us, you want a cocktail? It's Friday. Well, I was, I was on the show making cocktails. Oh, like okay. we were doing like a cocktail thing. And I oh. don't even know how I ended up making a cocktail. I think they had seen some of my Melissa can't cook TikTok videos or something. So they had me making some sort of a cocktail and Lonnie got me going. Oh so my here gosh. we are at nine in the morning and I'm like, you know, vodka to taste. And I just kept pouring whatever it was. And finally I knew the joke was there. I just drank out of the bottle and handed it to her. <laughs> and then you played spin the bottle and you have no recollection of it whatsoever, but it's on TV. There you go. Tia, thank you so much. Thank you. See you Easter Sunday, everybody. A Huda Media Production.